0: to wish all of you moms a happy Mother's Day. hope this will be a very special day for you that you'll be appropriately spoiled. Uh, I also want to be able to say thank you to all of you for your financial giving. We just received an update on how the finances of our church are going and uh, I am overwhelmed with the grace and faith that you're walking in. The Apostle Paul talks about The church giving out of their poverty. And in a time like this, it is incredibly practical and true that you really are giving out of your poverty, expressing faith in doing that. And and God bless you. Uh, We're still running a a small deficit, but uh, in light of all that's going on right now, we're just incredibly encouraged and are praying not just for the finances of our church, but for your personal finances, that God will meet you in that place and you will experience his provision. I also would like to devote this sermon to my mother. As some of you might have heard, she passed away, and uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. And if anybody uh, was an example of faith, uh, it was my mom. And so uh, she lived this out every day, and this is really an honor of her. So when we look at the book of Galatians, this is perhaps Paul's most emotional letter. He's he's pleading for the church to grab hold of something, something that is perhaps most dear to his heart. And it's simply this, that he wanted the Galatians to build their relationship with God on faith instead of law. This is the theme that runs through all of Paul's letters, And it really comes to a pinnacle in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 2.16, it says this, A person is not justified, and the word justified means to put right, to be put into right relationship with. A person is not justified, put in right relationship with God, by the works of the law, or what we're going to be talking about today, rules, but by faith or trust in Jesus Christ. Why is this such a big deal for Paul? It seems, though, it's kind of become his, his pet issue. And sometimes when we look at our life, it's like, really, is that, you know, if you want to say, if you only have a few chapters to say something to somebody, is this really the main thing that you would want to emphasize? And for Paul, it's a resounding yes. This is the, this is the biggest deal the most important thing that you could ever be considering in your life. But when we look at how we live our life, uh, rule-based relationships really seem to be the norm, don't they? If you want a relationship in business, you work out a contract, you figure out what the appropriate rules of engagement are. We've talked about this in previous sermons, and it just seems kind of obvious that that's how you would relate you have to write up a contract, both people sign, and if you renege on that contract in any way, then the relationship is dissolved. And it's kind of no hard feelings, but you didn't live up to the rules. We do the same thing in marriage. that there, uh, We agree that you're going to behave in a certain way, and I'm going to behave in a certain way, and that becomes the, kind of the law of marriage. And just so long as both people are upholding that law, then the marriage is going to last. And the moment that that law is broken, well, then the marriage will be dissolved. We have this in our friendships, perhaps less obvious because it doesn't appear to be so contractual, but we all have in our mind certain expectations, which is just another form of rules and laws, certain expectations that we have about how our friends should behave. And if they don't live up to those expectations, then we simply move on. Uh, And this has really come to the forefront in our relationship with God. It is... uh, I would go so far as to say natural for us to approach a relationship with God on the basis of rules. And so we look at something like the Ten Commandments, uh, we look at all the various laws written in the Bible, and we assume that what God is looking for is a law-based relationship with us, that he expects us to do certain things, and then in return, we expect him to do certain things. We expect him to get us to heaven uh, perhaps give us a blessed life, a healthy life. And these are the conditions of the contract. And so it uh, I think it's so ingrained in us, it's hard to even notice that it's true. The benefit of this is that it makes relationships very clear and clean. It's just this is how you're going to behave, this is how I should behave and if it doesn't work out, then we know what to blame. And it's just very, very straightforward. It's, a, it's an easy way to look at relationships. But there's a few problems with having a rule-based foundation for relationships, and I'll outline three of them. First of all, it seldom works uh, for two primary reasons. First of all is our fallen state. None of us really live up to the rules that we even personally agree to. We go, oh, yeah, it'd be really good if I was kind and loving and and patient. And yeah, I just, I mean, I agree. I just, I'm not sure that I can live up to it. Uh, The second reason is that there always seems to be exceptions to the rule. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there can never seem to be a perfect enough contract to encapsulate all this involved in relationships. And so there always seems to be exceptions. And uh, well, you know, yes, but... And so uh, uh, rule-based relationships seldom work. The other primary problem is that they're self-centered. We are engaging in a relationship really for what we can benefit from it. These are the things that I expect you to do so that I'm going to enjoy this relationship. And if you don't live up to it, I'm moving on. It's a self-centered view of how to engage in relationships. And I really hope that you can grab hold of this because it looks as though... Uh, Rules are helping us engage in relationship. Actually, they're helping us keep an arm's length to relationship. It's, I will only engage in this relationship for as long as it benefits me. And if it stops in any way, then I'm moving on. It's the opposite of what a love-based relationship would be about, where we're here for the benefit of another. But this is not so when it comes to rules. And finally, it's a source of pride or condemnation. When we're living up to the rules, uh, in this, of course, self-centered orientation, when we're living up to the rules, we go, yeah, look at how well I'm doing. You should be proud of me, and you should all be very, very grateful for the way that I'm behaving towards you, because I'm doing a really good job in this relationship. And God, I expect you to bless me. There's not a lot of people who would behave the way that I am, and of course, all for your glory. Uh, So we we, we can have pride whenever we do well. But the flip side of that is that we feel condemned when we don't. And so the source of our condemnation is the law, is the rules that we either think that God has imposed upon us or we impose upon ourselves. And when we don't live up to those rules, we feel condemned. And really rightly so, because those rules often describe what would be a a healthy or beneficial kind of relationship. And so we experience condemnation and guilt when we know that we're not contributing to this relationship the way that we should. So there's lots of problems in having a rule-based relationship. But what's interesting is that there's actually difficulties in having a trust-based relationship as well. And let me outline three of those. First of all, uh, a trust-based relationship is incredibly intimate. It's incredibly vulnerable. Rules kind of keep us safe, and it's all very clean and tidy. But trust is messy, and it, uh, it 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 expects us to come close and to engage in vulnerability and and to actually uh, open up our heart to another person, which leads to the second problem, as it were, that it's internal. Trust is about our hearts, whereas rules are about behavior. Uh, behavior modification is just a very a common way to look at improving a relationship. I'm just going to perform better. But if it comes to trust, well, now it's about having a heart that's soft and open and vulnerable, a heart of humility. And it's the only way to move into trust. And so it's, it's much more in, internal and not just behavioral. And finally, it would be impractical, or at least it feels that way. When we compare it to rules, rules just seem really helpful Uh, If you want to improve in business or or have self-improvement or improve a relationship, you just agree upon a list of behaviors. And it's just really obvious and very practical. Let's just do this, this, and this, and then our relationship will be better. If we're having problems in our finances, we're just going to agree in how we should both behave. You know, are you in? You do a fist pump and on you go. Well, when it comes to trust... It feels more impractical in that it's not as obvious as to how we engage. It's kind of like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm trying to trust you, but I'm not sure exactly what this looks like or how I should behave and what I should expect from you. and And it gets messy when we start talking about trust. So why would we go through all the bother of trying to have a trust relationship? If we see that both of these forms of relating have problems, well, it seems like rules would just be an obvious choice. It's just cleaner and simpler. Well, there's only one reason why we would choose to walk down the road of trust, and it's simply this, love. Only trust can produce a love relationship. As we've said in our church, uh, hopefully many times, trust is the foundation of a love relationship. And I, I love quoting, and I'm glad we're in Galatians now because I get to quote it in context. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6b. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That, uh, that trust is uh, is expressed through loving relationships. And if you don't have trust, you can't give or receive love. It's just that simple. And rules never get The giving and the receiving of love. They're far too self centered, they're far too um, um, uh, functional, or uh, they, they just miss a heart and emotion and connection. Now, what this leads to some people thinking, and it was one of the problems that Paul faced when he was talking to the church in Galatia, is you're saying, okay, so if this is all about faith and trust, and it's not about law or works then maybe that means that I don't have to work hard or I don't have to care about how I live. And then this is where Paul would get incredibly emotional and say, may it never be. Uh, We should work even harder and have even clearer plans because of love. Love doesn't make us lazy. Love makes us more productive, more involved, more connected, more responsible. It's the opposite. But what love does is it changes the motivation of our actions it doesn't make us not work it makes us work for a new reason i i i feel this as a as a parent i think about mother's day it's not father's day but i think about you know parenting and i think about our kids doing the dishes and there's there's two ways that our kids do the dishes one with a rule-based relationship uh, How much more do I have to do? And does it also mean that I have to clean the counters or just put away the dishes? And do I have to put in the dirty dishes? Like, it's just like, like, it's just, you know, I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do because I'm going to hope to do the minimum. And you can feel that. If you're a parent, you can feel that, can't you? I don't think this is a love moment. I think this is a rules moment. I don't think you're thinking about loving me. I think you're thinking about um, uh, just just, you know, doing what's necessary in order to get along and to get the things that you want later. And it really becomes obvious, doesn't it? You know, there's been some times in my life where there's been people who have been generous towards me. And man, I don't know if you experience this way, but when somebody is, is, is just generous, giving beyond what you know you deserve, there's something that happens in your heart that just melts your heart. You go, wow, these people really care. And you just feel like your defenses are down, your heart is open, you're engaged because you feel loved. And then in that place of vulnerability, they ask for a favor. And it's like, oh man. And I've experienced where it just feels like a knife in my heart. It's, I thought you were loving me, but really you were setting me up. You were just wanting something from me and you figured out what my love language is and you just manipulated me. And, and they weren't thinking about love at all. They were just giving to get. And so the motive of love transforms our behaviors. It doesn't remove the importance of behaviors. It transforms the motive that we're behaving out of. So the point is that actions can either express or replace trust. It doesn't make actions unimportant. It makes them even more important. But you can behave in a certain way that is just about rules and about contracts and about doing what's necessary in order to get what you want. Or you can engage in a relationship in a way that's vulnerable, that's personal, that's personally costly, and that's all about love. And uh, your actions then are dramatically shaped by how they're motivated. It will shape how you do the dishes. It will shape why you're bringing flowers uh, to your wife. It'll, be, it'll shape how you work. That, that when you're at work, you know, do you just have the mindset of what am I being paid for? And I don't do less because I don't want to get fired, but boy, I don't want to do more either. I'm just going to do what I'm told. And so you have huge chunks of the day called work where love is just barely factoring in. It's just all about you doing the rules. You don't love your boss. You're just trying to make money. So our motive dramatically changes, uh, not just, uh, it doesn't just shape how we do it. It actually shapes what we do. Because Galatians goes on, to giving two lists of behaviors. And here's the point that Paul is making, that we can actually tell whether we're motivated by trust or rules, whether we're motivated by trust or mistrust, by the fruit of our actions, by actually what we do. It shapes what we do. And so he gives a list of what he calls um, uh, behaviors uh, of the flesh. And he says a bunch of things. Now, I'll list a few of them. I won't list all of them. But here's how I'd like you to listen to them. That these are actually signs of a relationship with God that's based on mistrust. This is what mistrust ultimately looks like. First of all, it looks like sexual immorality. Now, have you ever connected the idea of pornography, of selfish sex, of sex outside of marriage, that that's actually a sign of not trusting in God. That at the end of the day, if you don't trust in God, the more you walk down that road, the more you will be open to sexual immorality. The more you'll be open to hatred. Do you have a judgmental heart towards certain people? Do you look down on on certain folk and, and admire other folk? Well, that's actually a sign that you're operating in a relationship of mistrust with God and it manifests itself as hatred or judgmentalism towards others? Um, Discord. Do you find that, that it's hard for you to get along with people? It's hard for you to have a relationship with God? What if the reason for that is not because you haven't tried hard enough or or looked on the bright side or, or tried to control your behavior? What if the reason for feeling alienated from God and others is actually a sign of mistrust in your heart, that you're not believing who God is in this relationship or in this moment? Jealousy, another sign of mistrust. Anger, rage, sign of mistrust. Selfish ambition. The reason why you would work so hard uh, at your place of employment and try to try to move up the ladder, try to make more money, try to get more prestige or status, is really a sign that you are not trusting God and your identity in him. Galatians goes through great lengths to describe our relationship with God is as, as being a son or a daughter, and an heir of the kingdom of God. Well, if we really believe that, would we really need to step on other people at work? Would we really need to grasp for more money? Man, if we know that we're a son or daughter of the king and an heir of the world, man, we would be able to be free and make others great and lift others up and not be nearly as competitive. Drunkenness. That what if the reason why we're given to addictions whatever addiction that would be it's really a sign of mistrust i find it so helpful to connect these sins to actually signs of mistrust that we can often look at the sin in our life and we can say oh i'm not trying hard enough i need to i need to 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 work more on understanding my motivations and and, uh, and looking at my past, and seeing how I'm self-protected, or whatever the reason would be. And Paul comes along and says, yes, but there's a bigger thing going on. And that bigger thing is these are just signs that you've built your relationship with God on rules and law instead of faith and trust. Oh, that I could ha- just help you make this connection between these behaviors and a heart that mistrusts God. Rules don't change our hearts. And as a result, they don't change our behaviors. And then he goes on in in Galatians 5 and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That as we have a trust relationship with God, he says that we are given the Spirit of God. We're given the forgiveness of sins and the Spirit of God. And when we have a heart that's full of the Spirit the fruit of that, the natural result of that, will be these kinds of things. It will be love. And uh, commentators say that love is kind of the the umbrella of the rest of the list. But it's joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, even self-control. That as our heart rests in the love of the Father finds our identity in Him, receives the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ, is full of the Holy Spirit. Out of that, we will live a self-controlled life, not given to, to addiction. We will be gentle, not given to rage. All of the things that we long for in our relationships with God and others will be the fruit of a trust relationship with God. Oh, this is such a big deal. So, where do you see the fruit of mistrust in your life. Where do you see that? Where does it manifest itself in terms of an addiction or or a self-centered behavior or a relationship where you're just not getting along? Even in the area of your finances, do you have a trust relationship with God in your finances, in your sexuality, in your emotions? Do you have a trust relationship with God in those places? Or do you experience mistrust there? In God's invitation to you, where you see a a broken area of your life is not try harder, perform better. I expect more from you. That's not his response to you. His response to you is, trust me there. Find me there. Know who I am there. I am your salvation in that place. Along with Paul, I implore you, figure out trust. Man, there's so many other things vying for our attention. <clears throat> One of them, my, my wife and I were talking to, to somebody this week, and, and he was saying that the, the most important thing that we should be looking at in our lives these days is mindfulness. Just taking out spaces in our, in our day and just calming down and meditating. Uh, kind of. You know, but, but what Paul says is, like compared to every other piece of advice anyone would ever give me. Paul says, even if I was to give you another piece of advice, don't listen to it. Because there's one thing that matters more than anything else. I received it from Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, and he told me this trust jesus christ there's nothing everything else is would be considered rubbish compared to a trust relationship with jesus christ don't let anyone distract you don't even distract yourself from what's most central if you have an area of your life that you're troubled with make it about trust don't make it about trying harder And that as you rest in your identity as a son or daughter of of God, as you're filled with his spirit, as you rest in the forgiveness of sins and he cleanses you from guilt and condemnation, that area of your life will change. But it will change because you traveled through the valley of working through trust. And it will be the fruit of that journey. And so he implores you, as do I, it's our, uh, mistrust is our only real problem and if, and trust is our only real solution. And if we can please orient our life toward trust, we're going to trust of God. We're going to find all the other areas of our life are going to be sorted out and we're going to find peace and joy in that place. So this is mother's day. And, uh, and if you're a good son or daughter, You're going to want to give your mom uh, a gift. And you're going to try to be very thoughtful. Odds are high it's going to be flowers. might be a nice dinner. I don't know what it's going to be. The best gift that you can give to your mother, the best gift that you will ever give to God, is a heart that trusts in Jesus Christ. You want to make your mom happy? Trust Jesus. You want to be connected with God? You feel distant from him? Don't look for evidence. Move toward trust. Because trust is always the solution to our relational challenges. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that what our heart really longs for is a love relationship. And we are seeing now that trust is the primary obstacle to receiving that trust relationship. And so we open up our hearts this morning. We open up our hearts to the vulnerability, to the intimacy, and to even the messiness of trust. And give us the grace now. We cry out for it. Give us the grace now to choose trust. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us in this place. Amen. <laughs>